In this episode of the Chillinoy Podcast, I sit down with Gene Lacey from the Illinois Psychedelic Society to talk about the Illinois Compassionate Use of Natural Plants and Fungi Act, which is an act that decriminalizes the possession, use, cultivation, production, creation, analysis, giving away, and delivery of natural plants and fungi, which are defined as psilocybin, psilocin, ibogaine, mescaline, except from peyote, and dimethyltryptamine. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Gene. Thanks for sitting down with me today on the Chillinois podcast. How are we doing today? I'm doing so good. Thank you. How are you? I can't complain. It's Friday and uh, it just so happens to be April Fool's Day today. We had a lot of fun with that. Um, So yeah, if you had a good day so far? I have had a pretty good day. The sun is shining, so um, I'm grateful for that after a bunch of gloomy days in a row. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You don't have to say that twice. I'm right there with you. Well, I invited you on today because I saw a very recent, uh, very interesting headline in the Chicago Tribune. And uh, we'll just share the headline for a moment. But I want to talk, I want to introduce you to the Chillinois podcast, the audience of the Chillinois podcast first. So the headline is Advocates Aim to Decriminalize Psychedelic Plants in Illinois. It's a Chicago Tribune article. So if you're wanting to look it up, like I said, that's the headline. We'll have the link in the show notes and we'll be talking about that soon. But first, Gene, uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to the Chillinois podcast and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks. Yeah. So my name is Jean Lacey. I am a a thoroughbred Illinoisan, born and raised here in central Illinois. Um, Lived here for most of my life, moved away a couple times, but as they do, the cornfields kept calling me home. So I raised my family here and um, I live in a pretty small town here in central Illinois. but it's also a very scenic town. It's beautiful right here on the Illinois River. So I have a lot of really positive things to say about living in Illinois. Um, And I do a lot of things with my time. I, um, oh, let's see. I am a certified yoga therapist. I teach yoga um, and help kind of support people through their journeys with uh, various psychedelic substances through that work and so um you can call that integration support through yoga therapy that's um a pretty well-known way to label it but really it's just teaching people lots of different tools to kind of support um bringing that kind of experience into their day-to-day lives so i work with people who are going through their process with um with ketamine or with psilocybin or with ayahuasca or whatever tools that it is they're seeking, I kind of help them um, integrate those experiences. So I also founded the Illinois Psychedelic Society and um, we've been gathering in community since 2020. Um, We meet virtually a couple times a month. um, You can find out all about our community on IllinoisPsychedelicSociety.org. But we really seek to provide um, 
psychedelic literacy for people who are engaging with these practices. The, um, with all of this coming really into the mainstream pretty rapidly, there's a growing need for education. So um, we really formed this community as a way to reach people and provide some of that education. And also, you know, like the work that I do, providing that integration support and that kind of back end for people who are trying to make sense of experiences that are often very hard to talk about. So. Um, so yeah, we, we gather once a month, we have a monthly meeting that's like really all about networking and just coming together with like-minded community. And then um, another time each month we meet with guest speakers and do various kinds of education stuff. We This year so far, we've done um, a ketamine 101 with a doctor who provides ketamine services. We've done, um, last month we did a microdosing 101. Upcoming this April, we'll be doing um, a talk on the importance of integration. Upcoming next month, we have a talk about um, drug testing and why that's important. So just a lot of like interesting topics related around psychedelics. And then in addition to education, we also do advocacy work, which is how you came across that article. Um, we've been fortunate enough to be um, in community with Representative LaShawn Ford, who's long known as an advocate for drug policy. Um, and he is sponsoring a bill related to the decriminalization of these psychedelic substances. So, um, so yeah, education, advocacy, and, and community building is really like what the Psychedelic Society is all about. Um, we have a Facebook group and a meetup group that we utilize for discussions um, and then hold that virtual space every month. So. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, really quick, you said uh, IllinoisPsychedelicSociety.org. Is that what it is? Correct. Okay. And where might people um, find your uh, integration services? Is that through the same medium? No, actually, um, they you can go to entheogene.com, the same as my Instagram handle, E-N-T-H-E-O-J-E-A-N.com. Um, and then that's where you can learn all about yoga therapy and integration support, um, microdosing support, stuff like that, right through my website there. Very cool. Very, very cool. Awesome. Well, I just heard something crash in my living room. Um, I want to go check on that really quick. Um, and then uh, we'll pick up where we left off. Does that sound good? Sounds good. The Chillinoy Podcast is funded by listeners like you. You can go to chillinoy.net slash support and make your contribution from there. Thanks for listening. Oh, the wonders of living with cats. I wondered if it was a cat. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but hey, I conveniently uh, noticed that the ashtray was out there, so that worked out just fine. Um, yeah, they just uh, they just dropped uh, all of my things that I brought from work on the ground because cats don't give a fuck. Um, but folks that are wanting to go to IllinoisPsychedelicSociety.org and uh, just want to click on a link, just look in the show notes. Also, Entheogene's uh, website is in the show notes. That's Entheogene.com. Um, so hopefully that makes it easy for you to uh, seek out the services or, or get involved in the society, whatever you know you're looking to do. Um, Jean, how did you get, how the hell did you get into all this? Oh gosh, that's a great question. 
So I started in actually in the cannabis space. My journey with plant medicine um, on a personal level and a professional level started with cannabis. Um, I tell people that cannabis saved my life and in a lot of ways that's true. I was, um, I nearly died giving birth to my youngest child and that was a lot to recover from. And I was in a place where I was just very desperate and had kind of sought everything that Western medicine had to offer me and was still coming up short with relief. Um, so I, you know, was browsing on the internet and said, people on the internet say weed helps them with these issues. I'm going to try it. And um, the rest is history. I. I started my relationship with cannabis then and it was revolutionary. It taught me that all plants are medicine. I got really into nutrition um, and working towards a plant-based diet and I really started exploring with other plants and fungi that have a lot of different teachings to offer us. So I had really um, I had really been exploring, you know, cannabis and psilocybin and and sitting in, in ceremony with ayahuasca for a long time um and then i got into the cannabis space and started um helping people get certified for the medical cannabis program and um from there transitioned into working with um working with ketamine in a clinical setting and helping establish clinics who are providing that service um, so it didn't take me long after getting into the ketamine space to realize that the demand for these practices was far outpacing the level of education. So it really called me to um, to expand my reach of people that I could could teach about this stuff. And so that was I, I kind of mentioned that previously, but that was what really called me to form the Illinois Psychedelic Society. Um, and I had gotten into policy work. Really, my interest in policy started again with cannabis, and then um, just was was fortunate enough to be um, be in in the knowing of people who were working, wanting to get into this policy. So they had heard about the Illinois Psychedelic Society, they knew about my work, and and really wanted to leverage my community and find all the stakeholders and the people who are really already in the space and interested in doing that kind of policy work. So. So yeah, I, I got here because I honestly, this was what I was meant to be doing. <laughs> when I look back and really think about it, I I just, um, it kind of just fell into my lap, it feels like. And it was, um, it was laid in front of me as the path I needed to take. So I know that I didn't I didn't go down the path of having of needing to learn all of this stuff for my own personal need to not share the knowledge that I, I gained over that time. So I really am passionate about trying to bridge that gap between like the underground community of people who already use these substances and then, you know, the clinical community of people who are, are seeking to like add these as services to their practices and stuff. So, yeah. Very cool. And, and speaking of bridging that gap, like just to be completely frank, like, how do you do that um, yeah. with folks that might even be hesitant about cannabis? Because I feel like some folks that are, uh, and I say some, that's key. Some folks that use cannabis are open to other forms of plant medicine. Some folks who use cannabis are just now open to the idea of 
plant medicine. And if you take it a step further, they're like, whoa, 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 slow down. I'm not ready for that. So I'm not necessarily asking about a cannabis consumer because I feel like it's easier to persuade them. You can use all the same, um, you can point to the same maybe journey they went through with cannabis and say, look, that's a plant that was organic. No reason to panic. I always say, um, right. And you can point to that and they can be like, oh yeah, I, I had to get over those mental hurdles with cannabis. How do you do that for somebody that maybe hasn't even jumped the hurdle for cannabis? Like they are, they don't do drugs. Mm-hmm. Do you have that? Yeah. That's a great question. Um, and this is actually what I was quoted, uh, close to what I was quoted saying in the Tribune article. I, I think that the solution to that is being honest about our, our drug use. Those, those of us who do choose to engage with these substances being honest about what that looks like for us and being um, able to kind of hold space for those conversations with people who who really don't understand the the prevalence with people with which people are engaging with these practices. Um, and I also think too, something that helps is introducing, and this is kind of like um, you know, something that happens when you build community, but introducing people to many different kinds of people who engage with these substances. It's not much like with cannabis. It's not just, you know, what we might like stereotype in our minds as somebody who uses these substances. It really is people from all walks of life, people from all different age groups, and people who are really like in all different places with their, you know, engaging with substances. Yeah. And can I throw myself under the bus really quick? Like I fully realize what I'm about to say doesn't sound good. Okay. But I'm using myself as an example. So when I went to a dispensary for the first few times in my life, I was shocked by the people that were in there. I saw a guy in a suit and tie. I saw another guy pretty formally dressed. And I feel horrible saying all this right now, because what the fuck does that mean? I didn't expect to see them in there. Right. Like, what does that mean? Well, that means that like maybe my mind has been trained uh, culturally to lean towards like a stigma, even though I use the substance and I realize fully that like that I'm one of those people, like I, I'm normal, just like the other two people. Like, that's the thing that's, I feel bad about pointing out like, Oh, why, what's a normal person doing in here? And it's like, wait a minute, normal people smoke cannabis coal. You're, you're one of them, even though you're kind of weird, kind of crazy. <laughs> I'd like to think I'm a normal person. And Um, Yeah, I I think what you just said has got to bear true for others. Like they have this idea of what a stoner is or what a person that does mushrooms, you know, is. And it's oftentimes based off of caricatures and movies, uh, which, of course, is not at all accurate. Um, And it's based on, um, you know, uh, propaganda. So um, it's very interesting that you point that out. And I wanted to throw, throw myself on uh, under the bus as a testament to what you're saying. I think, I think that would be a, a pretty convincing way to, to go about it. So are you saying that like, is it like you would invite somebody like that to uh, a conversation type of thing so that there are multiple people sitting around and able to network with them so that, you know, maybe if there's somebody they don't identify with, maybe there will, I guess the hope in getting a group together is that they might identify with somebody. Is that? That's okay. right. Yep. And there's, I mean, honestly, the the people who are involved in the Illinois Psychedelic Society are, you know, these people are, are psychologists and psychiatrists and doctors and, and mental health providers and 
And they're also like, you know, people who've been cannabis patients for a really long time. And so they've been kind of involved in, in this cannabis community. They're people who, you know, who don't even use cannabis and who are, you know, I'm, I'm seeking relief from just like general human suffering. And, and so I'm like, I've, I've read Michael Pollan's book and I'm interested in engaging with these things, with these practices. Um, so it's really is like, people from, like I said, every walk of life and every like socioeconomic status and every demographic that are coming around these substances. And I think that for me, it's very similar to what we saw in the very beginning of the cannabis space. And when we like first legalized medical here in Illinois and started signing people up for the program, like it was it, I, I had a similar reaction to what you were just describing. Like it was almost shocking to see the people, the kinds of people who were looking to seek medical cannabis. And it wasn't like anybody like I thought. It was like people my grandparents' age who were like sick of their chronic pain and, and they had like me sought everything Western medicine had to offer them and came up short. And they so, you know, they wanted to find anything that would help relieve them of their suffering. And it's the same with psychedelics. A lot of people are really interested in microdosing. Um, they hear a lot about it in the news. And so I think that, yeah, I mean, th at least like that's my plan of action when I, I do inevitably come across people who are like vehemently opposed to the work that I do is like, yeah, show up to these meetings and be in community with these people who are already engaging in these practices and just see what these people are like, because it's much more common than most people realize. Yeah. So I'm going to ask two questions and I hate it when I do this, but I'm going to try it out because uh, it's it can sometimes send you in different directions. But how long have you been doing this? And the reason I'm asking is because I want to know if it's becoming more popular. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, like I said, the psychedelic society has been started since 2020. I've been actively engaged in the psychedelic space since only since 2019. So, um, and yes, I would say in that time, it's like blown up. Um, a lot of people will refer to this as the psychedelic renaissance, a time where like this is being really revived and like pulled out of the underground. And in a lot of ways, that's that's very true. Um, I mentioned Michael Pollan's book, but mostly because I think that's the most common one that I hear people. Yeah, I was going to say like, Michael Pollan is uh, if people have not read uh, his work or listened to him speak on a show, he's amazing. Got to check him out. Sorry, I cut you off. No, you're fine. Yeah, he's totally fascinating. And his his work really played a huge part in in mainstreaming the idea that, you know, the normal everyday person engages with psychedelics and, um, you know, and it's a powerful tool to change your mind and change your perspective. Yeah. So, you know, the more people who who like read his work, the more people who I mean, there was like a good housekeeping article about um, 5-MeO-DMT of all like the most powerful psychedelic in the world. And there's like a good housekeeping article about it. It's like, whoa. And that was just like a huge sign of like, oh, this really is coming into the mainstream. And like, you know, your your suburban house mom is is seeking this kind of support. So yeah, and and something else that's true and, and is evident of this kind of becoming more and more popular is the prevalence of ketamine clinics. Um, 
back in 2019, there was like a handful of them across the country and you could like Google and see all five. Um, and now they are popping up all over the place. And there's a dozen just in the city of Chicago, um, at least, and more really? and more providers all the time are, are looking to add ketamine services to their practice. So, you know, and those same providers are, are going to be staring down the barrel of like, okay, what's coming next? And what, what kind of practices and therapies are going to, we going to be able to add in? Um, and on that same note, you know, MAPS is doing incredible work with bringing MDMA through the FDA approval process. So they are very close. They're in their phase three. They've published their phase three studies. They're looking to have actual MDMA clinics like actively working next year. Um, so that's like a huge revelation uh, for just like the psychedelic movement in general. Um, but the truth is, is that people who provide mental health treatment are pretty desperate for new tools and new, new therapies. So um, they're excited about the opportunity for ketamine and MDMA to be implemented. And as, as more and more states provide framework for psilocybin services, those same kind of clinical providers are going to be looking to that as well. Yeah. And Oregon just, uh, I mean, they're in, they're in the midst of it, I believe right now. Am I correct in thinking that? Yeah, like they're, they're in their close they're to in the middle of their rulemaking process. So they that'll be finished up by the end of this year and they'll be implementing service centers next year. Yeah. Now, not to get too far into Oregon, but I do think it's important because like you mm -hmm. say, it's uh, something we could see here, uh, you know, and we could adopt a similar model or use it as a model. Um, people need to understand, and you might know more than me. I, I just read a little bit about it last week. Uh, so, you know, if you've read it all about it, you definitely know more than me about it. Um, am I correct in thinking that Oregon, because people are like, Oregon, uh, legalized mushrooms, man. And I'm like, fuck yeah, man. But that's not, that's not really what it is. Correct. Like it, it's not that it's not legal. It's just that it's a uh, legalized treatment. And you like, most people don't know this. You can't take your, it's not like they, you go to the dispensary and get mushrooms. Like you go to a treatment center, you're given a dose, you go through the experience. Am I correct? Yep. That's right. So um, Oregon's model is really interesting, and they had two two initiatives that passed at the same time. Um, and this is all really relevant because a lot of the this foundation of this bill that we've been working on in Illinois um, was actually the the measure 109 in Oregon that legalized psilocybin services. So they had two measures go through at the same time. Measure 110 um, decriminalized. Um, like all drugs, and then Measure 109 provided framework for psilocybin services. And you're correct, it is not like a dispensary where you can go in and purchase the product and take it home. It's um, creating framework for service centers. So they will have facilitators, they will have, um, you will experience the effects of, of the substance right there on the at the service center. Um, and there's actually not really framework for it to happen anywhere beyond the service center. Gotcha. Yeah. I feel like on certain trips, like I might be like, you know, if my advisor's sitting there, I might be like, yeah, you know, I need to talk to you about something, but on certain trips, I might be like, could you just like sit in the corner? Cause you're mandated to, and let me have fun, <laughs> you know? 
Exactly. And, you know, I think that it's, I think that a lot of us hope that there's going to be a broad range of types of service centers where you're going to be able to go for different kinds of experiences for different reasons. And, and it's important to acknowledge that the people who are facilitating these experiences, some of them will be licensed therapists and some of them will not be. There will be trained licensed facilitators, but they'll not necessarily have like the background in mental health services. So the intention behind that is to create broader access. Um, we're already like nationwide, probably globally, like experiencing a shortage of mental health providers. So if we were only to limit it to like people who are already licensed mental health providers, we'd be severely limiting who can access this service. And so to open it up to people who are not necessarily like have a background in therapy already, it it is hopefully going to create more avenues to where, you know, people can use for a variety of different reasons. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to seek therapy at the same time. You can just go and have an experience for, you know, personal development or self-exploration or whatever you, you really want to call that. Um, and that's similar to our intentions in Illinois with this bill that we've been working on is to create the most amount of, of choice for the consumer. Like we really want people to have options. Um, it shouldn't be limited to people with certain, certain diagnosis. It shouldn't be limited to people who are only seeking you know, treatment for their mental health. It, it really should be open to any adult who, who really wants to engage in these practices. And there should be a variety of kinds of services that they can go and engage in as well. Yeah. And I want to sneak Michael Pollan back in here because if mm -hmm. somebody is listening that, you know, I hope somebody is still listening that may disagree with us. Oftentimes people that disagree with us may have tuned out by now. I hope that if you're listening right now and you disagree that you hear, hear me out on this, I want you to see if you can supplement anything. One of the things that Michael Pollan said that really stuck with me is that we interact, we interact with compounds that affect our consciousness all day long. Think about when you don't eat food, for example. Snickers has a commercial about it. <laughs> you know, you're a different person when you're hungry. Um, I'm not saying that it, you know, food, you, you, I hope that you guys get the parallel that I'm drawing there. Coffee is very normalized. And uh, Michael Pollan's talked about, it, in fact, uh, coffee helped like kind of a, a worker's revolution to happen. It's, it's in fact, a, company uh, back in the day pioneered the coffee break because they found that if they just gave their workers like a break and allowed them and encouraged them in fact to drink coffee that when they came back they not only felt revitalized but very energized and they got more work out of them um which you know whatever um uh the point that i'm trying to make is that we've got a lot of compounds that we interact with all the time. And we, and frankly, that we have the freedom to interact with um, arguably a, a really, you know, a really common compound that people choose to interact with is ethanol or, or alcohol, you know, drink consuming alcohol. And we have the freedom to do this, uh, you know, um, but for certain compounds, I, I was, uh, I actually was going to make a meme the other day as America land of the free, Unless you possess certain mind altering compounds, in which case you can go fuck yourself, <laughs> you know, and pardon, pardon uh, the language, but like, 
it's really strange when you think about it that way. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of breaking the stigma, so to speak, is helping people understand that drug use is an absolutely normal adult human behavior. Like we all engage with substances of some variety, like you said, every single day, mostly. Like I I really can't say that I know anyone who doesn't use like any substances when we're talking about caffeine, when we are considering the effects of, of sugar and things, things like that. So I I think that it's important for people to understand that it's it's completely normal to use substances and it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. What what is inherently quote unquote wrong with using substances is that um, people don't have safe access to them. And so that's what where you know things really get dangerous is when they're when it's criminal to engage with the substance that they choose or when it's just like outright unsafe to source that substance. So the, you know, in my mind, from my perspective, the most compassionate thing that we can do for, for people's particularly people of Illinois is to help them access the substances that they choose more safely, no matter what substance that is, or whether I choose to use it, or it's, it's, you know, socially acceptable, they still deserve safe access to that, just like we have, you know, that that safe access to our caffeine and our alcohol, yeah. and our nicotine. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, I, I love that you brought up that point, because it's so crucial that, yeah, it's normal. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so when folks talk about that, they talk about harm reduction and there's a lot of focus on that. But I think the other side that you're talking about is benefit maximization, right? So you put somebody in a safe environment and how can we make this experience benefit them the most? It's a very interesting concept. Well, I want to get back to the topic you just brought up. I wanted to um, meander um, in, uh, you know, kind of just general ideas. I, really quick, I did want to ask you a question. You mentioned mm-hmm. there's ketamine um, clinics in Illinois. Is that like yeah. the only thing that there's like officially, uh, you would say psychedelic wise, that's kind of like happening right now? That's like above Absolutely. board? There's um, So yeah, there's a lot of different ways that actually people provide these services. Ketamine is the only thing that's like, um, it is legal to prescribe. And so there are clinics that are utilizing ketamine. It is an off-label use. It's not like a, an approved use by the FDA, but it is um, it is like legal for them to administer ketamine this way. And they're doing it for the purposes of tr- um, treating like treatment-resistant depression, um, severe anxiety, PTSD, but also like it's super effective for people with chronic pain. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, it's becoming more and more common for people to implement this. So um, I actually, there's many in Chicago that I can think of, but there's only one downstate here. Um, so it is interesting to see how that, that will kind of eventually spread out. But there is also, um, people do engage with things like ayahuasca, things like psilocybin um, in a more sacramental ceremonial way um, with through churches. And so there are various organizations that are, you know, supporting this kind of work through religious use. 
And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're like tied to a specific religion, but they are using it in a very like ceremonial sacramental context. So um, there's definitely those organizations out there as well. I'll become a member of that choir for sure. Um, for sure. And I can't sing well, but I'll, I'll do whatever they want me to do. And I'll, as long as I'm welcome. So, um, sorry, uh, just wanted to, to ask about the ketamine thing before mm-hmm. we moved on, because, um, I think it related and I didn't want to move on without asking about it. Um, so wanted to share the the headline again, and, and let's just talk about, um, about your efforts and, and, uh, what, you know, what the bill includes, um, once again, folks, if you're wanting to look into this story and read for yourself, uh, it's at the Chicago Tribune headline advocates aim to decriminalize psychedelic plants in Illinois. Um, and uh, it's it's a good read. Um, and am I correct in thinking that? Well, let's let's save that. Tell, tell us. Um, tell us a little bit about the bill. You've, you've already spoken brief. You know, you've given us a few details, but. Tell us about the bill. What will it achieve if it was if it was passed, I guess, you know? Well, it's important to bring up at this point that we're still in the very early stages of this. So we're in the draft stages where we're actively like working on the draft and adjusting the language. Um, anybody who's ever worked in policy um, really knows how like one little word can change everything. So we have a lot of eyes looking on this. Um, The Psychedelic Society has been working very closely with SSDP, Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Um, They've contributed so much energy and and resources to this effort. Um, And then, like I said, various stakeholders in Illinois. So we are listening to everybody, trying to work with as many advocacy groups as we can, and um, really just like here, what do the people who are doing this work here in Illinois and, and also the people doing this work across the country who are experts in this space, what do they think that we can improve upon and how we can kind of get this out there? So it's very much a collaborative effort. It likely won't be introduced to legislator um, until the next session, which will happen in January of next year. So we have some time to kind of iron out those kinks. And if you're if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm a stakeholder or I have an advocacy organization um, that would like to be a part of this, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can find the info on the Illinois Psychedelic Society website. Um, but the intention of the act is to decriminalize the possession, use, cultivation, production, creation, analysis, giving away and delivery of natural plants and fungi. And so um, by natural plants and fungi, we mean psilocybin, psilocin, ibogaine, um, mescaline, except from peyote at the request of the Native American church and um, and botanical forms of DMT. So that's kind of like the definition of natural plants and fungi in this act. And we're really trying to take the, you know, you you mentioned this language, the, the risk reduction and benefit enhancement approach. So we really want to um, make it as safe as humanly possible for people to engage with these substances in whatever way that they choose, um, but also using Oregon as a model, create framework to where there is um, 
you know, the provision of psilocybin services and, and services for the other substances too, you know, pending like what an advisory board says. So the act will decriminalize um, the natural plants and fungi and then establish the Illinois Psilocybin Advisory Board. And so the purpose of the advisory board is to really um, create rules surrounding the, the service, um, psilocybin services, and also really like dive deep looking into each of these other substances that we've named to um, figure out like what can also fit in this framework. Now we are really having the framework based around psilocybin services because that's what we have the model for, um, but we are very aware that a lot of these other substances can be used in a similar way. So the role of the advisory board is to really like dig deep into what that might look like. Um, and the advisory board is comprised of public health experts, um, you know, people who are experts in mycology, ethnobotany, psychopharmacology, um, psychedelic research, harm reduction, um, and then people who actually already work within the state of Illinois, who work within like, um, you know, the Department of Ag and the Department of Public Health and, you know, the Liquor Control Commission, um, and then bringing in like health equity representatives, an individual who, who represents um, in, um, a federally recognized indigenous tribe, people who are, are doctors and psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists, um, and who specialize really in, in the treatment of substance use disorder, the treatment of, of you know, the palliative care, which really means like end of life stuff. And those are some of the common applications for these kind of um, for these kinds of services. So with that, with providing services comes um, several different kinds of licenses that will be available if this act passes as is. And so there will be service centers that are actually um, administering the psilocybin and then also providing the psilocybin services. There will be psilocybin service facilitators. So the people who are actually trained and licensed to administer the substance and, and you know, hold that space for a service. There will be manufacturers, so people who are cultivating and um, extracting, producing products, just like we see with, with cannabis. And then there will also be testing facilities where we're looking at, at potency and, you know, all the different compounds that make it up and also like checking for mycotoxins and, um, you know, various kind of like fertilizers and things that are found throughout the growing process. So a lot of similarities between how we regulate cannabis, but also like paying respect to the differences in the way that people engage with these various substances versus how they engage with cannabis. Yeah. I like that you specifically, first of all, you said a lot of things that I disagree or sorry, agree with, not disagree with. That sounded weird. Hey, you were like, Oh snap, where are we going here? Um, you said a lot of things that I agree with. Um, I, I think the word dick came out of my mouth is cause I was going to say decriminalize. I like that you said decriminalize, um, possession, cultivation, identification. I'm going off the top of my head. So I can't remember another one. 
but there was a lot there and I, I agreed with, with, I'm glad that it's ex- as expansive as that is what I'm trying to say. Um, so, so that's, that's really awesome. The other thing that I like that you put in there, which I think is super important, but I do have a follow-up question. Um, the, the idea that was it peyote, um, or sorry, mescaline, but it can't come from peyote at at the request of um, the Native American Church. Native Native American Church. Thank you. Um, is there anything in there? Because I, I saw the picture uh, in Chicago Tribune of the toad. Um, is there anything to like not encourage that? Yeah, that's a really great question. So um, we have that's a problem, right? I mean, Mike Tyson mentioned it and then it's all of a sudden like an endangered species. I just I wanted to let people know why I asked that question. They're like, why the fuck are you bringing up a toad? You know? Yes. Yeah. So um, there are there is a specific form of DMT that comes from the Sonoran Desert Toad. Um, and it's called Bufo for anybody that's listening and wants to look up that that word and learn about it. It is, um, and I actually brought it up earlier because the the particular form of DMT found in Bufo is 5-MeO-DMT. And so it's often referred to as like the peak psychedelic. Right, or the craziest the one. <laughs> psychedelic. And honestly, like, that was that's been my experience with it is that it is extremely potent and powerful um however when you're extracting anything from the earth or anything from animals um absolutely like sustainability and respect to the environment becomes at the at the forefront so there are there is synthetic forms of of 5-MeO-DMT in particular. And I definitely encourage anybody who's seeking those practices, um, you know, it's all still like very gray area. There are places in the world where this is legal. Um, So if you you are looking to engage with those substances, then like, don't be afraid to try the synthetic form because it is like out of respect for the toad, which is now endangered because it has become more popular. Um, These, these toads are only found in a specific part of the world. And um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's can be harmful to them to cause them stress to where they're like actually extracting this extract. So in regards to our bill, um, there's, there's still discussion around this. And, you know, if anybody is out there with like very strong opinions on it, I'm definitely open to listening um, because we are kind of focused on natural plants and fungi. And so we've been kind of framing it around the um, botanical varieties of DMT. DMT is found, first of all, in like endogenously in our own human bodies. And it's found in so many different kinds of like natural plants and fungi. And it, and the category of tryptamines is actually like very, very broad. So some people could even say that like psilocybin is a form of DMT because the molecular structure is very similar and they work on similar receptors in our brains and bodies. So um, so yeah, in, in terms of how we're trying to address that in our bill, we haven't ne- necessarily included any language specifically around like protecting the toad. Um, but we really are trying to focus on like the more plant plant derived forms of DMT and making sure that that's um, you know decriminalized for for whatever purposes. Um, 
But like I said, there's been a lot of discussion around this. And, and some people are like, well, you know, why aren't we decriminalizing the, the chemical versions and the synthetic versions? And those are all very relevant questions. And I think that for, for these purposes, it's a lot easier and more palatable to a, a potentially conservative person to say that like, these things come from nature. And so that's, you know, like, it's okay. They can be foraged and found out in the wild um, than it is to say like something made in a lab is gonna be just as safe as that. So I think that that's kind of the mindset for us going in that direction. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm gonna think about that now. Like how can we protect the toad in this bill? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I was gonna say, since you're in the drafting process, try to sneak it in there. Cause it, does, yeah. it seems like that wouldn't be too hard to like, to, to just say like, don't fuck with those toads. Um, but like, anyways, not in, in much, Illinois, so that helps us, but yeah, I, yeah, I <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I could just see some sick person being like, let's fly in a bunch of toads and make a farm and milk them, milk them all day. I'm just trying to be funny. Um, so, um, one of the things you brought up and I wish I would have brought this up earlier and I almost did, but I, I'm so glad you brought it back up. Uh, the fact that DMT is, uh, you said endogenous, endogenous, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a lot like the fact that we have an endocannabinoid system and, and we produce our own uh, cannabinoids. I don't know if my listeners knew that, but your body produces cannabinoids without you having to smoke weed. So you can take a tolerance break and you're still, you know, you still have endocannabinoids floating around in there, folks. Don't worry. Um, just again, trying to be funny. Um, but talk about the fact that DMT is produced endogenously. I don't think people realize that dreaming is you tripping every night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, I, I love that you put it that way, actually. Um, not, not just dreaming, but if you think of any like really um, impactful con like junctures of your life, like um, any near-death experiences, um, they say that DMT is released during childbirth um, for both the mother and the child. And so any time that your, your body's trying to protect you from a like very um, you know, I guess close brush with death, you're going to be releasing that endogenous DMT. Um, and there's not a ton of research out there on this. Um, so like, I'm totally open to anybody who's listening. That's like, she's misspeaking. That's like totally possible. But, um, you know, the idea is that this is like, uh, your body's natural defense mechanism to those, those kinds of experiences is, is flooding your brain in with, with, DMT. And that's really interesting to think about. And I, I like that we came back around here because I, I mentioned at the very beginning, the reason that I got on this plant medicine journey was because I had my own near-death experience during childbirth. And so um, it was, it really set me on this like journey of self-exploration. So um, it, it, was definitely a transcendent state of consciousness all on its own. It's, it's not anything that I could necessarily compare it to that I've experienced otherwise, but it is a powerful, it was a powerful catalyst for my own healing journey and my own journey of like trying to understand things deeper. And I think that that's, that anybody who experiences those kind of states can say some, something similar is that like, oh, I, I experienced something that I, I can't even necessarily put into words. Yeah. Otherworldly. 
Yeah, like, but it, it was out of this world. And so I love that you brought into dreaming into that as well. Um, and there's also like forms of breath work that you can do that will release DMT and put you into a transcendent state. There's forms of yoga. I practice something called, called Kriya Yoga, which is an ancient practice. And the whole idea is like reaching these transcendent states of consciousness. And there's there's never been studies to back this up, but there's no doubt that it's releasing these kinds of like chemicals in your brain and body. And that's that's you know, when we're putting that neurobiological lens on it, that's how we're reaching these transcendent states of consciousness through these practices. Um, so I, I think that it's really important for people to realize that, number one, it's natural, it's normal, this, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. And number two, there's a thousand different ways to get to the same place. <laughs> I'm so glad you said it that way, because... Uh... Yeah, it is normal. And that's kind of why I uh, I really like what Michael Pollan has to say when he talks about this, because more or less consciousness itself is a drug. Yes. I mean, I know that I'm really high right now and that makes a lot of sense to me and it may not make sense to whoever's listening right now, but consciousness itself is a drug. You know yeah. what I mean? Like you everything that you are processing is because of the way your mind is processing it and everything that goes, goes into just that, you know, the reason you woke up feeling happy to like you, people know, we know enough to know that like, like dopamine, everything else, like there are chemicals in your brain, like those are drugs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Some yep. people have chemical imbalances. So their consciousness is frankly, you know, not pleasant. Let's just put it that way. I won't even make a joke. I was about to make a joke, but that's not, you know, it's not funny, but, uh, so, um, well, and on that note, yeah. there are natural precursors to all of those chemicals. Like you, you brought up dopamine. That's a great example. There's a, um, a plant called mucuna, M-U-C-U-N-A, that is um, chemically, it's called L-DOPA. And it is a natural precursor to dopamine. So when you take that supplement, your body reads it as dopamine. You could consider that a drug. It's just not known as a drug because it's not like, you know, a necessary, it is psychoactive. And that's kind of a weird word to like, people will talk about psychoactive plants, but like anything that interacts with your, your brain's receptors, which actually also like exists a lot in our gut, um, that's a technically a psychoactive component. So, you know, something like Yukuna that your body reads as dopamine is psychoactive. There's, and there's all those kinds of plants. So, and there's cannabis. Our body produces all of these can cannabinoids, and then we can consume cannabis, which is a natural precursor to our body's own cannabinoids. And so it really makes a, a lot of sense, at least to me, that, you know, we're kind of meant to be engaging with these substances. Yeah. And the craziest thing, and I know that everybody always goes here, but we, we have been engaging with these substances for longer than I think we haven't been. Yes. And honestly, I... I really love bringing that up in these conversations that, you know, it really is the, the practices of indigenous cultures that have kept these substances relevant in any way, shape or form. I think that, um, you know, Western culture has really suppressed any engagement with whether it be cannabis or psilocybin or, or DMT for a really long time, but there are these pockets of indigenous communities around the world um, who have 
been continuously engaging with these these substances and these these natural plants and fungi for millennia and even psilocybin really the the what brought it to the western the western um society was people traveling to Mexico and engaging with the Mazatec and and learning from Maria Sabina and bringing that that knowledge of you know her practices with psilocybin mushrooms back to like western culture so i think it's important to acknowledge that actually humans have been engaging with these since basically the beginning of time and it is the work of the indigenous cultures that have kept them relevant all of this time yeah now i realize the question i'm about to ask is extremely intimate but you you brought it up twice and it's personal but like can you you described it as otherworldly your experience with pregnancy and and i you know um it's tough to ask this question because i know it was a scary i don't know but i i can feel that it was a scary um experience can you just try to if you're able if you're comfortable more importantly uh describe, describe your ex- not, not like the, the you know, know but, but your the, the mental, mental experience, experience that you talked about, about. yeah gosh that's a great question that honestly nobody i know it's probably hard yeah it is hard um but i I will give it a go and really like i said i can't really compare it to anything else that i have experienced um you, you can kind of almost compare it to a dream because it was it was very much like i i went to another place and um i I was in an observation state of like out of my body and able to like look down on what was happening. But that was also like very short lived because I I went to like emergency surgery and received a bunch of drugs. Um, So that was that like kind of like suppressed all of that. But um, yeah, the best that's the best way I can really describe it. It was it was definitely out of body and it was um, a total like different place than what I know to be this connection with my body. Um, it, it was the first time that I can really say that I was like aware enough of like my consciousness leaving my body. And that's a, that's a lot for people to kind of accept. Um, but I really do believe that like we are not these bodies. We are the the like observer of the experience of these bodies, and so that was really like my introduction to that that idea in general. And I, I also think that that's why, you know, in my recovery process from that experience, like it was very disorienting, and I I just like had a hard time coming back to this reality that we share. Um, and you know, there was other things going on, like my, my physical health recovery and things like that. But the, the mental aspect of it was what was so, so challenging because I, I was just like, had this new awareness that that I couldn't make any sense of. And it, it really caused me to like re-examine everything that I had ever been through. And so I think that that's why I initially found a lot of relief with cannabis and a lot of like that was such a supportive medicine for me was because I was able to, you know, through THC, able to kind of like almost go back into those states and, and really understand myself in a little bit of different ways. So, um, yeah, interesting question. Yeah, well, thank you. Interesting response. I mean, that's that's heavy and I it kind of 
I felt I felt that like that might be might have been your experience. And the question I really wanted to ask with that, you know, is like you, you can see probably now how people can come away with different interpretations of that experience. Um, you know, we've all heard the story of like I went to heaven and uh-huh. um absolutely you know and maybe they maybe they did. Uh I'm not you know, uh, I'm not religious or whatever, um, but I do, I, when you talk about that, there's something in me that understands it. Like, I'm really weird about, I don't like to say like, like sometimes I've felt spiritual, but I don't even like saying that. Like, it just feels weird. I don't know why. Yeah. Maybe I'm just like, I'm too, I, I am too cool to fit, you know, admit that, that, that I felt that way. And you know what I mean? Trying to, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's heavy because, um, that's, that's the type of experience. Like you say, that's what, when I think about DMT, I think about dreaming and I think about dying. Yes. And, um, that's just such a great, like, I'm really trying to wrap my head around that. Like the idea that you felt your consciousness leave your body. And, and the fact that, in in having that experience you realize that this is just a vessel and that when you came back it was so hard to readjust because you like you were out of it for a second now you're back in you're like hold on a second like you know yep. yeah. you're back in the vessel and it's like it's almost hard to like be like wow i i went there like i was not here you know so but sorry i was still somewhere i was still in existence yes and that's what's like so challenging to like come to terms with you're like we're we're born into these bodies and we think that we are these bodies and so like everything that happens to us is us and this is really relevant for when you're recovering from any kind of trauma is you you strongly identify with the things that happen to you and so when you experience this you know whether it be a near-death experience or whether it be a mushroom journey or a DMT journey when you experience these these transcendent states where you come into that knowing of like oh I I have this body but I am not this body I am this consciousness then you you kind of touched on this like you come into this deeper knowing and you're touching into something that we all have but we're all kind of like resistant to and it's you know some people can call it spiritual a lot of people become very spiritual after these experiences um but there's there's a lot of ways to really like look at that and yeah it, i mean and now that i've i've had this experience of you know supporting people through their psychedelic journeys i i <laughs> there's so many ways to explain it and there's so many ways to look at it and it's all really based on like our own perception and our own perspectives and the things that we experience in this life already so um so yeah just like understanding how different it can be for each person and whether or not we're going to like the same place each time or, or you know what it is that we're actually experiencing I think that the the mystery of it is part of like the power in it and the the inability to explain it is again like part of that just like deeper knowing and deeper understanding that we can all tap into yeah hell yeah well said well said well um 
so let's remind folks that are looking uh for you know um entheogene.com for facilitating for it's for facilitation right or am i saying that wrong no for integration support integration thank you yep integration cool and um other things right you said yoga yep i Uh, i teach yoga i teach breath work i um i work with sound a lot so like singing bowls and gongs and so yeah any kind of those like yogic arts that people are looking into i'm happy to support them on that journey cool um i got just a few more questions for you before we wrap up the show um with the bill do you know off the top of your head like the decriminalization of these things like are there i hate to go right to this but i'm I, this is how i think what are the quantities you know is it like well that's a great question and that's actually not that language is not specifically in the bill it'll be determined by the advisory board so it's like one of the tasks of the advisory board to really examine like what are the possession limits? And if we can like go and, you know, receive these substances in a service center, like what, what can we really do? And um, in terms of like possession, um, but the idea is to make it as open as possible. And I think that that's why we chose to kind of like put it in the hands of the advisory board. Yeah. I was hoping you were about to say that there was nothing about possession in there because we're decriminalizing it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Well, and, and I mean, we're decriminalizing the possession, the cultivation, the giving right. away, and, so, right. and also the testing. Now, what's really important is that, you know, oftentimes people are are arrested and, and imprisoned over possessing like testing supplies for substances, which is like insane. Um, so that was a really important component to, to try and get in there too, is that testing is okay too. So yeah, I think that the, the idea is that within that, you know, the, the amount that you're possessing shouldn't really matter. Yeah. I hope so. I know that oftentimes in order to, it's another one of those things to have like concessions for downstate legislators, you got to like add provisions to make them feel better. So it seems like there's like possession limits always become a part of the conversation, but really the reason I bring it up and like, just to tie it into cannabis, which is something we talk a lot about, you know, one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you today was because we wouldn't like, not that we haven't talked about cannabis, but like, you know, this podcast is so much more than cannabis and I only talk about cannabis. It's got, you know, there's no bounds. I talked to comedians. I've not done that in a while, musicians. Um, but I've been talking about the fact that I, you know, pretty soon, uh, our little Illinois logo is going to have a bag of mushrooms, you know? So, um, because that's the next thing. Yeah. And so, or bag of whatever, you know, bag of whatever you want. Um, so, uh, super excited for, for this show. Um, but one of the things that I think is like strange to think about, and again, I might just sound like a, a, you know, somebody who's super baked right now, but the fact that the cultivators can cultivate as much cannabis as they want, and they can put it into vehicles like as much as they can put, you know, put in the vehicle and send it to stores all over the state. But the people that go to the stores can only buy a certain amount. And if like right. they can't buy more than that amount, and if they're found with more than that amount, then all of a sudden it's illegal again. And so I just, um, you know, I know that there will probably have to be concessions made for possession. It seems like it's like inevitable when we talk about drugs how many how many how much drugs can you have before we get you in trouble (laughs) that's like 
So that's like their concession. It's like, okay, we'll let you have a little bit of drugs, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. And honestly, we're still, we're still going to go through that process with this bill and there's going to be, you know, the, yeah. the naysayers are going to come out in one shape or another. And, um, there definitely are going to be like concessions made. Um, and so that's oh, I can't reason. wait till the naysayers come out. Cause they're going to say a bunch of ridiculous shit, just like they did with cannabis legalization. Oh, exactly. we're going to have to kill all the dogs. We're going to have to kill all the canines, you know, exactly. Because- <laughs> and it's, you know, and I think that as we've been going through this process, we've really been looking at a lot of the, the, the hangups that people had when, when we legalized cannabis and also, you know, how can we kind of smooth that stuff over on the front end instead of waiting until later to think about it? And um, so I really think that putting forth something like very strong and powerful and super progressive um, will give like set the bar very high. And so any concessions that we do have to make, we know that we could come right back to this, this very high set bar and say, no, this is what really needs to happen. And this is what the people of Illinois actually want. Um, the, the thing about Oregon and why they were able to do this um, was because they passed this on a ballot initiative, which means that they drafted this put it out to the people to vote on and the people voted and said, yes, this is what we want. And we don't have that in Illinois, which is, um, you know, actually pretty disappointing from my perspective, but um, the only way to go about this process is to go through the legislator. And that's messy and that and you know people's money gets involved and it's, you know, becomes a very like push and pull. So I think that we have a huge opportunity here as like a a coalition of grassroots advocates. And that's why it's been so awesome that um, SSDP has worked with us so closely on this as, as young people and as grassroots like activists, we can really come in and say right out of the gate, no, this is what the people really need. This is what's compassionate and equitable and, and fair. And, then we can play the political game from there. But we know that we went in right out of the bat and there was, there was no big money behind us. There was no, nobody supporting this except for like the people and what they actually wanted. So I think that that's a really big opportunity to, to shift some of that really messy stuff that ended up happening with cannabis. Yeah. And if people are wondering what the hell I'm talking about with killing the dogs, I'm not joking. Um, I'm sharing my screen right now. Uh, I posted this the other day. Never forget that uh, an Illinois police officer from a canine academy. I want to be very clear about that. It's not like the Illinois State Police made a statement that, you know, you need to keep pot illegal or we're going to kill the dog. But a canine, uh, the leader of a canine academy at the time, and you can look at the headlines. We're sharing them right now. Um, Illinois, you know, that this was one of them. Illinois police keep pot illegal or we'll kill the dog. You can find a lot of the, the uh, details there. There's another headline. Um, Illinois Police claim if marijuana is legalized, they'll have to cl- uh, kill their police dogs. The um, uh, quote from the panograph said, um, the dogs are trained against being social in order to be effective workers, which led Larner to suggest a that, quote, a number, end quote, of the canine units would have to be euthanized in the event that marijuana is legalized, which a bunch of uh, experts at the time laughed at. And in fact... I believe, uh, I'm not sure why I should have figured out which state this uh, headline at the top left is from, but new <laughs> in other states, they're retraining their uh, dogs to ignore cannabis. Mm-hmm. So 
that's really embarrassing in retrospect to see that that is even possible. And you're, you're um, suggesting that we should kill the dog, um, you know, because you, we are going to kill these dogs because we can't lock people up for this anymore. And that's just, (laughs) that's basically what they said, you know? So sorry, I don't mean to dwell on that too much, but I wanted to give the context for that comment because without context, people were like, what the fuck? You know? (laughs) So, um, so. We've really covered a lot of ground here. <laughs> we have. I've had a lot of fun uh, in this show. I definitely want you to come back on. Um, I know that this is a, a you know fluid process, so yep. keep me a, keep me apprised. Reach out to me if I haven't reached out to you yet. Like if there's something really exciting that you you need, you know you want to come on and talk about and tell people like, hey, reach out to your representatives about this. We'll do it. We'll make it happen, right? Um, but you'll hear from me for sure because I want to hear how things are going and. Um, Hey, I might, you know, Justine and I might want to, we might seek out your services. Let's just say that. Um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a lot, uh, to talk about. Is there any other ideas that you wanted to touch on that you felt we haven't touched on today? Um, cause I know the way that I can be, I sent us here, I sent us over there, up, down. Is there anything we didn't cover today? Um, I don't think so. We really did cover a lot of ground and, and went a lot of really cool, important places. So, um, yeah, I, I just really like to end all of these conversations with encouraging people to, no matter how scary it is, get involved in the political process. If you really care about this work and about, you know, people engaging with these substances, pay attention to who you're voting for, first of all, vote, (laughs) pay attention to who you're voting for, and, you know, make sure that they're on board with this kind of stuff. Um, You know, we touched on this earlier, but the more honest that we are about engaging with these practices on our own, the more that we have the opportunity to educate the people who are making the laws and the people who are voting for this stuff in the House of Representatives and the Senate to, you know, vote in the way that that really accurately represents us. So don't be afraid to get involved in the political process and and pay attention to, you know, the things that are happening around us, because then, you know, things can skate by under our noses before we even realize what's going on. So um, I just like to encourage people to pay attention. Yeah. And uh, just realize we're all humans. You know, some of the the reasons right. some of this stuff feels scary. Can I can you correct me if I'm wrong? Some of that getting involved feels scary is because the way that the system is often structured feels scary. It's very institutional and you got to put on nice clothes and go to a building and it's can be a little uh, overwhelming. And so, but, but if you get over the fact that it's all stage play, basically like really you could just got to go somewhere and talk to a person. That's what, what it comes down to. Everything else is just aesthetic. So if you're in the zone and you got your, policy mem you know your, your policy that you're focusing on what you're pushing on um you know and work together it'll, it'll be okay yeah <laughs> that's such a great point and the the people who are making the laws are humans too so don't be afraid to reach out and talk to them and they really are there to represent us um and and that doesn't always happen. I live in a very conservative part of the state where you know like my representative doesn't necessarily see eye to eye on this but um you know and as opposed to like getting dressed up and, and going to knock on the, on his office door, we can write emails and we can send letters and, 
and you know make phone calls and advocate in other ways and we can also advocate in the way that we're like talking to our family members who might be more conservative minded and talking to our friends and like I said being honest about the way that we engage with these compounds and the way that we understand them and I think that 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 can really create a much bigger social shift than you know we might think can have an impact but it really is powerful oh yeah very well said very well said well folks um you're on entheogene on twitter as well right um actually no or, I'm uh, on, instagram I, I meant to say <laughs> yeah instagram i'm on twitter um as the illinois psychedelic society so you can look Dope. up like the psychedelic illinois um and and find us on there Sweet. All right, folks. Well, all those links will be in the podcast description. I hope that makes it easier for you to connect with Gene um, and the Illinois Psychedelic Society. Do your part, get involved, especially if any of these topics mean anything to you. And as always, I hope that you found value in this episode of the Chillinois podcast. Um, Gene, let's say goodbye to the audience. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much.